Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. Now, there are so many people that you come across on social media or you just kind of meet out in the world and in the environment around you, and you're just like, yes, what they said, right? You agree with what they said, or they have a viewpoint that takes you into thinking about something in a very different way. Well, my guest today is someone that I've been following for a while and just loved her take on this work and her perspective, and then come to find out that she was from Barbados as well. And so that just kind of added to the connection. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I'm really excited to have um, as my guest today, Sharon Hurley Hall. Hello, Sharon. Hey, Sasha. Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> I, I'm just tickled pink that we're doing this. I'm, I'm loving this. Um, you know, so one of the things that started me really connecting with you kind of on social media was I think initially around your podcast right and the introvert sisters with you and your sister and um just understand like yeah because I I think at the time I was figuring out that I was an introvert for real I was posing I was a extrovert pose or introvert posing as an extrovert um and so I think that was kind of like my first connection point and then started learning more and more about you and the work that you do. So for f- folks that may not know who you are or what you do, can you just tell us a little bit about you and your work? Okay. Let me try and keep this brief. I am a former journalist and a former journalism professor and a former freelance writer. And in the last couple of years, I have become a podcast co-host and an activist working on anti-racism and equality. That is the short, short version. I am the (laughs) author of I'm Tired of Racism, the founder of Sharon's Anti-Racism Newsletter, and the co-founder of Mission Equality, which has the aim of exactly what the name says. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes, that was short and brief, but there was just so much packed into that. (laughs) And so, you know, I want to talk about kind of the the work that you do, right? One of the most recent things that you all put out was the Black paper on equity, right? First of all, I love the fact that you call it a Black paper. <laughs> start there. Because why should everything be white? Hello? Anyway. Hello. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about what is this Black paper on equity? Okay. So the Black paper is our position paper on how do we get to an equal world? Mm. Because a lot of people, you know, one of the things with DEI is, one of the things that some of us don't think about is that diversity isn't the end goal. Equity isn't the end goal. Inclusion isn't the end goal. What is it we're actually working towards? And what we're working towards is equality. And sometimes I think not enough of us stop to think about that. So the black paper was a a way of saying, hey, here's what we should be focusing on. Here's how we got into this mess that we're in now. 
right? You know, capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, you know, all the things, all the things, right? Mm -hmm. And here's what an equal world could look like. And I emphasize the could there because one of the things that we say is no one company or set of people can be in charge of what equality looks like for the world. It's a global conversation that has to happen, but we have to start having the conversation. So this is our our entry into the conversation, saying here are some of the stuff we could think about. Here are some of the ways that equality could look. And then the, the, the final part of it, because it's basically in three parts. No, it's in four parts. Third part of it is how do we support this push towards equality? You know, part of it is a change management process. Part of it is the foundation of anti-racism. And part of it is what we call our real framework, looking at representation, equity, accountability, and leadership. And then we bring that all together in a leadership development program that aims to help people lead differently so that we create more equality in organizations and workplaces. Thank you for that work. Because I, you know, you hit on so many pieces that I agree that there are people that are doing a lot of this work, but not collectively or mm-hmm. bits and pieces of it. Um, you know, you hear about change management, you're starting to hear more about change management in DEI work, right? Organizational development and design in this world with the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. What I appreciate about this is you know, there's that anti-racism piece that makes people so uncomfortable. And how do you unpack that? And how does that show up within your organization so that you can dismantle it and rebuild? Right. I Yeah, I, I don't think that you can do this work successfully without addressing anti-racism. I really yeah. do not. You know, we believe that that is foundational. In fact, the first policy that we created when we set up our company, which we use as a, as a case study for how equality could work in a company. The first policy we wrote was the anti-racism policy. And it is, it is an anti-racism policy with teeth, right? Mm-hmm. It's an anti-racism policy that recognizes the existence of white supremacy, that, exi- that recognizes that with the best will in the world, you know, global majority colleagues might experience harm at the, at the hands of their white colleagues. It recognizes the need for education. It recognizes the need to believe black people. And mm. it, it says, okay, you're going to be accountable. It doesn't mean that we're throwing you out of the company unless you're you know, going around calling people the N-word. But you right. know, we will be discussing what's going on here. We will be saying, here's how you can educate yourself. And we right. will be saying, okay, we got to do better, right? Yeah. And I think that that's so critical in this conversation because for so recently it's been this, and I I hate the phrase, cancel culture, but someone messes up and it's like, we totally dismiss them. We want to cut them off and we miss the opportunity to to educate and to help um, provide information and give exposure to things or people or places that they may not have had exposure um, to that may change their worldview, right? Yes, yes. Uh, Cancel culture. (laughs) Uh, I agree with you partly and I disagree with you partly, Sasha, because because I think the accountability piece is key. Absolutely. I think there are some people that you might have to cancel just because they refuse to be accountable. But I also think that where people show that they are willing to learn and grow and progress, then there's an opportunity there. So I agree with you on that piece. Right. No, and I agree with that. I can agree with that. Um, 
if people are not willing to learn, yes, like you can't mm -hmm. keep them yeah. around, but I want to give them the opportunity to say, I'm willing to learn or I don't want to learn before we dismiss them. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I think that there, there are some folks that just don't know and ignorance is bliss. <laughs> and so <laughs> in their own world, like they want to stay in that ignorant state. And it's one of those things you can't unring a bell. Like once you know, okay, now yeah. you can't say you don't know. Now how you move forward is up to you. And you may get canceled because of how you move forward. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, one of the things, for example, that we make available to our white colleagues is to participate in our anti-racism education sessions. So mm -hmm. we have um, our Anti-Racist Leaders Association and we meet twice a month, once for education and the other is a Q&A, a place where people can come and ask questions. And I've seen people make tremendous strides in their own growth by just having that space right. and being able to say, okay, I can come and I can ask some questions. Nobody's going to beat me up. The, you know, people have made themselves available and then they can go out and do better. And I see that that results in people, white people, who are more confident in their anti-racism stance, who are more confident identifying bias and bigotry when they see it online or in their organizations and begin to feel more confident in what they can do about it. So I think creating those spaces for those conversations is so important as part of the work. Absolutely. And I think what's key to what you just said, right, is it's moving from awareness to action, right? Mm -hmm. Now that you're aware, what can you do about it? What will you do about it? Because yes. you can't put it on the global majority. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm all about the action. Real. I'm all about the action. You know, one of the things in that in that group is like, you know, we say, okay, what are you going to be accountable for this month? What are you, what action are you taking? Right. And I ideally, it's not go just going to be what am I doing within my company, but what am I doing personally that I'm accountable for? Right. Right. You yeah. know, I'm not afraid to ask those hard questions and we're not in that in that group. I, I um, co-facilitate with my co-founder, Leah, and, you know, we will, you know, we're firm but kind. We're firm but kind. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. And that's what's needed. Right. You can't coddle. Yeah. Like I know I always say I don't coddle sensitivities. <laughs> like I'm the wrong person for that, but I will help you get through it. Right. And I will push you in that vein. So, you know, as, as I'm talking to you and I'm thinking through this, what are probably some, or if you could name like one or two things that organizations that make organizations anti-racist that they may not even realize makes, well, let me back that up. What are one or two things that an organization may not realize makes them racist that they can shift to become more anti-racist, if that makes sense? Well, well, in a lot of cases, the the signs are are, are subtle in a sense. They're not mm -hmm. they're not necessarily not necessarily subtle to the people experiencing them. Let me right. be clear, right? But you might find, for example, that global majority people are not progressing in your company and are leaving and getting better jobs elsewhere, because mm. somehow that progression has been blocked within the company. Somehow they're not getting the support or the mentoring. They're not being tapped for those positions, mm -hmm. right? That's one, that's one very clear sign that something is wrong. If people, if people are leaving rather than talking to you about the problem, then that's a problem, right? Right. right. You have to look at your policies. You, need, you have to look at the, 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 the subtle things like, what do you consider showing up professionally? And does that have a different look depending on the person that you're dealing with? 
Right. Because often it's not just about what's written down, it's about what's applied. So if your people in your organization, if you're in a majority white organization and you've never had to deal with any of this stuff before, you may not even think about the way that some of your policies are harming people of the global majority. You might not even think about how the way you're relating to them in certain in certain contexts is harming them. The things that you think of as just a bit of banter might be like salt in an open wound if this mm -hmm. is something they've been experiencing all their working life, you know? Yeah. You know, and I think of what immediately came to mind as you were saying that are like stretch goals, right? Who's mm -hmm. getting those opportunities? Is yeah. it the person that you play golf with? Mm-hmm. Right. Or someone that reminds you of your sister or cousin. Or and yes, aunt. let's talk. Let's talk about the golf, shall we? Let's talk about the golf, because we all know that there is a huge disparity in income and savings between people of the global majority and white people. And we all know where that comes from. Yep. It's, you know, it started with enslavement and it has only grown wider since. Right. Yep. We all know this. So, you know, some of us don't have golf membership money. Right. So if that is where you are making your networking, if that's the only place you're doing your networking, you immediately exclude people. Right. right. If your if you know, if your global majority people are also doing a caring role of some kind, which many are, then, you know, they may not want to be or be able to go to after work drinks. And, and you know, let's face it, if they feel excluded, they're not going to want to do that. If you're not including them during the day. Right. They don't want to hang out with you at night, right? But if that's where all the networking is coming, <laughs> is happening, you yeah. know, then then they are left out. So a lot of it is thinking about where are you making those opportunities to connect? Are you yeah. distributing those equally and equitably? Because right. if you're not, you could be being racist without even realizing it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, again, it goes back to this, you know, oh, I feel comfortable with, you mm -hmm. know, oh, they remind me of. And mm -hmm. how do you start to unpack what that really looks like and means? Like, why do they remind you of this person, mm -hmm. right? There's a comfort level there. Why? Because it's familiar. Well, what happens when you don't have anything in common with the, the person that's reporting to you? Yeah. You're not as yeah. comfortable. You're not as familiar. And so do you give the same opportunities? Exactly. How that plays out. Because we know that that generally does not happen. And, and you know, that's kind of what needs to happen. And so yeah. in our company, we are very intentionally global majority led. And we have built equality and a very flat, higher, high, a very flat approach. Right. So everybody is a leader of their particular area of expertise. Okay. And so they get to lead. They get to lead that. And then, you know, we work as a team. For things you know we have our team chat we work i mean we're a small team still right? right but but we know that this works and we know that it can work and you know sometimes it's also about what is it you know what's the culture inside your company and does it discriminate against people who who are carers who have children who mm -hmm. have illnesses hidden disabilities all those things you know you need to think about all of those things Right. It's not just about the person that is visibly other. Right. Because they're the invisible, they're the people that are invisible, invisibly um, 
othered <laughs> as well. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and then, you know, again, just even terminology that we use, because when you think of hierarchies, mm-hmm. right, how, mm-hmm. how that came about was based in a very Eurocentric, you know, way of, of thinking and processing and it moved into kind of corporate spaces and organizations. And so how do you, to your point, level the playing field so that there isn't hierarchy. Everyone feels valued, seen, heard, connected. Like that's what this work yeah. really is all about. And exactly. it's not to say that there shouldn't be titles or positions to some degree, but what, how, how do you do so in a way that makes sense where there's still equity centered? So it's, it's very difficult. It's not a very easy thing to, to unpack. Though I would say, I mean, and, and you know, I, I admit that we're small and new, which gives us the chance to be agile. We've done mm-hmm. away, we've done away with C-suite titles. Leah and I are the co-founders, and then she's a strategy lead. I'm the equality lead. We have a mind-body wellness lead, a sustainability lead, and an education lead, mm. right? And so that's how we're approaching it. Of course, as the co-founders, we have a slightly added level of responsibility. Right. But we're trying to build in that 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 fairness, that equity, that leveling into the company. Yeah. I think that that's so critical and important. And again, could be a blueprint because you have so many startups, Mm -hmm. right, organizations that are starting in tech or some type of product, whatever it is that are so focused on building the thing. Mm-hmm. There's the opportunity to build equity into your staffing. Absolutely. When you're starting out, like this, not, it shouldn't be an yeah. afterthought. Because then yeah. by the time you think about it afterward, you've already made the mistakes and it's a part <laughs> of your culture. It needs to be, it needs to be thought about from the very start. Yeah. And, and you know, okay, if you haven't thought about it, but you're thinking about it now, then you know, look at our black paper because you know that has some suggestions for how you can do that within your company. Yeah, and shows absolutely. how we're doing it within ours. Absolutely. I want to do a little bit of a pivot. Because mm-hmm. we started talking about anti-racism. And <laughs> you have your book, I'm Tired of Racism. Yes. So somewhere it's on my shelf. <laughs> um, talk to us about that. Like you, you said you were a journalist. You know, you come from a writing background. I do. How did this book come about? To, to talk about how this book came about, Sasha, I need to go back a couple of years. Okay. Because before 2020, I had written the odd anti-racism article, but, you know, I wasn't writing about it regularly. Uh, you know, not that I hadn't experienced it, not that I didn't have thoughts about it. I just wasn't writing about it regularly. I had written a book on colorism, which I published a couple of years earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. And then George Floyd was murdered. And it felt like all the racism that I and my family and generations and ancestors had experienced had suddenly come to a head. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people felt that way. Right. And I'm a writer. So I wrote I wrote an essay called I'm Tired of Racism because it was just heartfelt. It was an outpouring of the pain. Right. Mm -hmm. And people responded. 
And what happened is that I realized that all the stuff that I had bottled up, because often in these white majority spaces, you can't deal with the racism that you're facing. You just you yeah. just bottle it up. You just move on. You keep going. You try to pretend it's not happening. You yeah. talk about it with your girlfriends, maybe, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but basically you compartmentalize it. Well, that compartment wall was broken. And so mm. I started talking about the experiences I'd had. I lived, I lived and worked in England. I'm, I'm British-born, Caribbean-raised, right? And so I went back to England as an adult. And so I worked in white majority spaces for 15 years, right? And so I started talking about those experiences. And the mm -hmm. thing that is really interesting and, 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 and the thing that I think I bring to the conversation is because I've lived in the Caribbean, I've, I've lived in England, I've visited the US, I've lived in France, I've visited multiple places, I've experienced racism everywhere. And I have this perspective that it's a global thing. You know, yeah. the workings of white supremacy are yes. global, right? And so I was talking about what happened to me in England and my largely American audience of LinkedIn Connections was saying, hey, yeah, I relate, I relate. This happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me, right? So then I started my newsletter and mm -hmm. the book is, a collection of essays some and, and, and a couple of unpublished ones from the first five months of my newsletter. I say wow. that to say that I still have not collected anything published in 2021 or 2022. Wow. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so so there's more to come. <laughs> more books to come later there's on. more to come. So that Which... is what brought me to, to, to publishing the book. And, and, and the book itself came about I'm sure you're familiar with Ashanti Maya Martin, mm -hmm. the person who wrote Black LinkedIn is, is thriving. Do you have a problem with that in the New yeah. York Times? And sort yeah. of brought us all together on, on that platform. And she said to me, we're having a conversation. She says, you know, I love your newsletter, but my email inbox is full. I would just love it if I could get everything in like in a book. I said, you know what? There'll be other people who feel like you. Let me make a book. <laughs> and so that was mm -hmm. how that came into being and you know it took a while because of setbacks here and there i self-published but okay. um but yes in the end the the hardback came out hardback and kindle came out in october the paperback is just out um this month and i'm working on an audiobook next wonderful wonderful you know it's it's one of those things um and we had the pleasure of meeting face to face in January. Um, and so I have the book and it's one of the, I keep picking it up. It actually is upstairs in the, my bedroom because yeah. I'm like, oh, I need to read this because I like to read at night. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, I need the mind space because mm -hmm. I know I'm gonna get pissed. Like I know. <laughs> yes. I know me. First, I know I'm gonna get angry. So I'm like, maybe this isn't the book to read at night. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to read it. So I've blocked out some time to start reading it during the morning to okay. inspire my day. <laughs> and one of the things, one of the things that I think you will relate to particularly Sasha, you know, as we both have this Barbadian connection is that I do also tackle some of the issues that happen in Barbados, the post-colonial setting, because we know there's stuff yeah. to unpack there, right? Yeah. I'll, I, yeah. <laughs> I've been having conversations, you know, recently about this and you and I spoke about this the question that came up, and this is actually going to be um, something I really want to dive deep into, is how do you identify yourself 
as a Caribbean person without colonization? Like, what did we lose as a people Ooh. with, you know, with the impact of colonization? Because I think of the indigenous people of those islands that mm-hmm. were just non-existent and the culture. And so the culture that we know has been colonized. Yes. And so like, what would we be if there was no colonization? And yes. just the, oh, child. That is such a good question. And you know, Sasha, I had a moment, I was visiting Trinidad a few years ago and I met the chief of the Taino people mm. there who, you know, there's still some descendants. Yes. And his name was Miguel something. And so I felt, you know, I felt a little bit sad. Yeah. Because, because you know, the people were still there, but you know, the, some of some of the culture was still there, but some of it had also been lost. Yeah. Right. And I think this is the case in 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 the few pockets where you still have indigenous people remaining in the Caribbean, because there aren't that many. No. Right. Or there aren't that many that you are aware of. Right. You know. Because I, I and, know. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. And, and and then, you know, that question about what was lost. And so that was what was lost for the indigenous inhabitants. And then right. what was lost for us as descendants of enslaved African people. And one yeah. of the things I often think about, I mean, I was talking to somebody about, you know, you do your family history, you know, and that is like quite often for descendants of enslaved people, you get to a dead end, right? You get to a dead end, which is, which is okay. Nobody was tracking this. These people yeah. were not given last names. They were, you know, they were chattel. Yeah. You know, you don't know where that connection is, right? You can, you, you know, DNA helps you find a location right. that your ancestors were probably from. But you can't it's, necessarily, not, most people can't get much closer than that. And, you no. know, that saddens me. You know, and again, we've talked about this and, and family trees and, it's a rabbit hole, right? First of mm-hmm. all, it's a rabbit hole that you could go down. But the my mother's from St. Vincent. Mm-hmm. And though I can go wide, because mm-hmm. there were some folks that had just had a whole lot of kids, I can go yeah. wide yeah. with some of that. But then when I go back four, five, six generations, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how did they get to St. Vincent? Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking at who are the indigenous people of St. Vincent. And I did a little research actually earlier this week that talked about there were a couple of slave ships that crashed. They were on their way to Barbados, as a matter of fact. And the survivors ended up in St. Vincent and created the, I'm going to say it's Garifuna? Garifuna? Oh, Garifuna. Yes. So that's how the Garifuna, the indigenous and African, and so it became, St. Vincent became one of the free populations of Black people in the wow. Caribbean. And this was like the 1500s. And then, of course, yeah, Garifuna were killed off for the most part. But again, there's so much of this history that's lost. It is. And it just really causes me to wonder, again, as we do diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and we talk about anti-racism and we talk about how do we decolonize this work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who are we if we decolonize, right? And so that's the part that I, I think is, is super fascinating for me. And, um, and 
Yeah. It's also it's like it's like what what stories are we what what stories are we telling? Yes. What stories are we hiding? You know what are we being told? Um, <laughs> I saw a post I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day. Um it was a response to someone complaining about Black History Month. Oh gracious. And the and and, and the response and then the response said, but you know, you know, colonization is, is white history, genocide is white history. Enslavement is white history. That's not black history, right. <laughs> right? And it went on. I mean, it was like a list of twenty things. Yeah, that were absolutely. enacted on on people of color by European Americans, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, so, let's talk about it. <laughs> like, you know, it's like you might okay. not like what comes up, but <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth in all of this. Yeah. You know, so Sharon, I, I do want to do a little bit of a pivot because you know I started talking about when I'm going to read your book, because who oh, I got to get my mind right. Cause this work is difficult. Like there are times and there are days where I think it was, what day was that Monday of this week, earlier this week where I was like, I don't feel like doing anything because mentally I was drained. Right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite at the point of burnout, but mm-hmm. realized I need a mental health day just to kind of yeah. get back into, into things. And so what do you do to fill your cup? Like, how do you take care of yourself as you're, you know, pushing your book and, and you're doing your newsletter and doing the, all the other work that you're doing? How do you do that? What do you do? Sometimes you just need to take a break. Sometimes you do. Yeah. And, you know, that break could look like a number of things. Sometimes that break looks like lying by a window, reading a trashy novel and letting the breeze blow over my face, (laughs) right? Sometimes that looks like lunch with a girlfriend. Sometimes that looks like, you know, the healing power of of the sea. I mean, Barbados has beautiful beaches, as you know. Don't even get started about that. Getting down to Brown's Beach can be just the tonic that you need, right? When you've had a day like that. Yes. You know, and, and, and sometimes it's as simple as giving yourself permission to stop and regroup for a little while, you know, because again, hustling in this way is white supremacy culture. Yeah. Right. It is. So that is another thing that we have outlawed in our company. <laughs> right. We have generally a no rush culture. You know, we you know, we know when the deadlines are, but we try to leave people plenty of space so nothing has to be last minute. Right. And if if something comes up, you know, if you're unwell, you know, your health and well-being takes priority. I love Always. it. Always. I love it. I love it. And yes, the the healing power of the sea. Yes. It's just for anybody that's watching or listening, just yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. It is, it is absolutely amazing. I have I can guarantee there have been times where I would be sick as a dog. I would get there get in the water for a good two, three minutes. And then it's, you could feel like, okay. The cares just wash away, right? It just, it just goes away. It's just amazing. I'll be, I'll be back soon. I'll be back soon. (laughs) Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. If people wanted to connect with you, follow you, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Mission Equality they can subscribe to my newsletter and that's antiracismnewsletter.com and they can buy my book of course yes. <laughs> yes. buy the book buy the book 
Sharon, yes. thank you so much for this. I mean, we could have gone on. I, I don't want to unpack the whole colonization in the Caribbean piece because that there's just so much more we can talk yeah. about um, in that. But thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today and joining us. Truly appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of DEI After Five. As always, you can find us every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. Eastern on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe. And until next time, have a good one.